Okay, I'm going to go ahead and pray. God, our Father, Lord, we are so thankful for your majesty and your glory. Indeed, Lord, you are the king of the universe, and we do praise you and honor you. And we are very thankful, Lord, that you have given us life and breath and everything that we need. Lord, that you have even called us out of darkness and redeemed us from our sins and purchased us by the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, what a privilege this is. Indeed, there is no privilege like it. And we do thank you and praise you this day for such a great salvation as you have given to us, God. I pray, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our heart and that our eyes would be enlightened to your truth and to your power and to your kingdom. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see how uh, important these issues of marriage are to you. And, and God, I pray that you would just impress it upon our hearts, Lord. And, Father, I pray that from this day forward we would never look at marriage the same, God, but that your word would indeed change us and transform us so that we are more like you than we were when we came in here, Lord. We pray, Father, that you would grant us spiritual wisdom and understanding and grant us, Lord, to, uh, to have strength to practice these things in our home and in our lives. We pray, Lord, that you'd bring healing to our marriages where they're broken. We pray, Father, that you would empower us to live lives that glorify you and honor you. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of gathering in this place and to freely have the uh, liberty to proclaim your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Okay, so we are uh, back in our ongoing study of Ephesians, and last week we got through chapter 5, verse 26, and I'm going to go ahead and read our context again this morning. I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 through 33. Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church." Because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. 
This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Amen? Amen. Okay, so then, this morning we'll be picking up at uh, chapter 5, verse 27. Although we did touch on this briefly last week, I'm going to pick up there and I'm going to try to get through verse 31 today. And Lord willing, then we will uh, wrap up this study on marriage next week. And we'll be looking at verses 32 and 33. So here in verse 27, it says that he might present to himself the church in all her glory having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. And, you know, last week we were talking about the idea that the husband should seek to sanctify his wife and that his prevailing attitude in marriage should be towards his wife's well-being and toward her joy and toward her fulfillment. And how better to seek that out than to seek her holiness and to seek to sanctify her. And this, is, uh, this was the topic of our discussion last week. And, of course, verse 26 says, um, let me go back to verse 25. He says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. And so the idea is that Christ gave himself up for the church in order to sanctify her, in order to make her holy. This was what he gave himself for. And this is a model for the love of a Christian husband, that he would give of himself to make his wife holy that that would be his chief pursuit in marriage. And then it is expressed here in verse 27, the motivation in the heart of Christ for pursuing the holiness of his bride. And it says there, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. And the idea is that in seeking the sanctification of the church, Christ is then presenting her to himself, he says, in all of her glory, that she would be without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. Christ sanctifies his bride in order to present her to himself. This looks forward to that day when the church will be united to Christ forever in heaven. There she will be presented to him in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. At that time, the church will be holy and blameless in practice, even as she is now in position. At that time, the church will be holy and blameless in practice. She will be completely sanctified. At that time, when Christ presents her a sanctified church to himself, 
You with me on that? If you will, look at Jude verse 24. There I have it printed out on your handout. It says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, who is that? Christ, right? And to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. You see what the scripture is saying there? That Christ is able to present you in his presence, blameless, without fault, without blame, unblameable. How will he do that? Through the sanctification of his blood, right? Because he has paid the debt of your sins and imputed to you his perfect righteousness, right? And now, uh, as you eagerly await him, your life is being sanctified. Your life is being made holy as you eagerly await for that adoption, as you eagerly await for that resurrection day when you'll take on a glorified body, even as the Lord Jesus has a glorified body. And as we eagerly await for that day, that day which will be the consummation of the marriage between the Lamb and His bride. Amen? That's the day we look forward to. That's the day when Christ will present Himself with the church in all of her glory, the Scripture says. Have you stopped to think for a moment what that must mean? What does it mean, the church in all of her glory? Think about that one a little bit. Let me read you some comments from Barnes. He's a New Testament uh, commentator. This is what he says about the little phrase, or any such thing, which is found there in verse 27. He says, the passage here shows us what the church will yet be. There will be a period in its history when there shall not be any imperfection, when there shall be neither spot nor wrinkle nor any such thing. In heaven all will be pure. On earth we are preparing for that world of purity, and it cannot be denied that here there is much that is imperfect and impure. But in that future world, where the church shall be presented to Christ, clothed in robes of salvation, there shall not be one unholy member, one deceiver or hypocrite, one covetous or avaricious man, one that shall pain the hearts of friends of purity by an unholy life. And in all the millions that shall be gathered there out of every land and people and tongue and age, there shall be no envy, malice, backbiting, pride, vanity, or worldliness. There shall be no annoying and vexing conflict in the heart with evil passions, nor any such thing. How different from the church as it is now, and how we should pant for that blessed world. You see here, he's talking about what will happen at the consummation of the marriage of Christ and his bride. When Christ has presented the church to himself without fault and holy and blameless. It's looking forward to a future day. And this, the scripture says, is the motivation of Christ in loving his church. So consider then the motivation of a Christian husband in loving his wife and seeking to sanctify her and make her holy. What is the motivation in your heart 
for seeking to make your wife holy, for seeking to sanctify her and accomplishing that, as we said, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. You remember we were talking about that last week and we were saying that a husband should keep bringing the word before his wife, seeking to transform her thinking, seeking to transform her understanding of the world and of the way that they live, that he should keep bringing that word before her and washing her, even as he washes his own self with the word. Amen? And that prayer and scripture reading should be a regular practice in the home at the husband's lead. And how the husband must exercise that that headship by which he has been given and lead that family in godliness, seeking to sanctify that wife, seeking to sanctify that family, seeking to sanctify that marriage so that it is holy and pure and of great benefit and beauty in the eyes of the Lord. Amen? I mean, what does a Christian husband live for? Is it for football? What, what does a Christian husband live for? Is it, is it bratwurst and beer at the ballpark? What is it that a Christian husband lives for? Well, what is it that Christ lives for? Amen? Because to live is Christ. Amen? And to die is gain. You with me? And, you know, when Paul says, you know, Seek those things which are above, the things which are in heaven. What in the world is he talking about? Well, he's not talking about beer and bratwurst and baseball. Right? What he's talking about is those heavenly things which make up the substance of that future blessed world where we shall live, which we are in preparation for. Amen? Set your minds on heavenly things, he says, Colossians 3, not on things which are on the earth. Right? So that when you live your, your Christian marriage, what is, the, what is the whole goal of your existence together as a Christian husband in seeking to love your wife? It should be that you would seek to sanctify her, to cleanse her by the washing of water through the word that you might live in that blessed happiness of godliness as your minds are transformed and think like the mind of Christ. As your lives are conformed into the image of Christ, you move progressively into that blessedness of being a godly people, of people belonging to Christ, a people that he is zealous to care for and to bless and to protect and to nurture. Amen? There's great benefits in that godliness and in that godly pursuit. So in that, Christ had a motivation then to sanctify his bride in order to present her to himself. Husbands should seek to sanctify their wives from all forms of impurity, even as they do themselves. Okay? And again, you know, I touched on this last week. I was talking about the idea that a husband should protect his wife spiritually and that he should pay attention to the kinds of things that she reads and that she casts her eyes upon, especially in this day of such powerful media that we live in. Amen? Rosie?
I appreciate it, you know, that we have that spiritual reading in the home, but doesn't that have to be my personal commitment to Christ and my reading of the Word and you know, the Lord and I having our personal relationship? Mm-hmm. Irregardless of what he does, I mean, hopefully he'll enhance that and encourage that. Mm-hmm. But that's my personal daily decision. It surely is. I hope he'll enhance it, but, but if he doesn't, then I still have to go on and, and do what God wants me to do in my relationship with the Lord. I, I just don't quite understand how a husband can make me holy. Mm-hmm. Well, a husband can't make you holy. Yeah. Right? But at the same time, he, with the motivation of Christ, seeks to sanctify you. You see, we're not talking about the wife's responsibility as a Christian here. We're talking about the husband's responsibility in a Christian marriage. And that responsibility is to love his wife how? Just as Christ also loved the church. Well, in the text of this scripture, how is it that Christ loved the church that the husband is to mimic? Here's how. That he might sanctify her by the washing of water through the word. To present her to himself, the church in all of her glory. So, so how does that apply to marriage? How does this text apply when Paul commands the husband to love his wife just as Christ loved the church and then explains how he does that? How should a husband implement that in the marriage? And that's what I'm suggesting. Here's how. He should wash his wife with the water of the word. At, at his lead, he's the biblical head. He's going to love that wife even as Christ loved the church. Let me ask you a question. If, if uh, Jesus Christ were your husband... Right? What would that relationship look like in the home? What kinds of things would he be implementing as that husband? I mean, for instance, do you think that that uh, bringing the word before her daily might be something that Christ would implement in the home? And and what would be his motivation in doing that? He would seek to sanctify her. How? Practically even as she already has been in Christ in position. So here's what we're saying. In position, a husband can do nothing to sanctify his wife, right? He's in his sins. But in practice, what can a husband do to sanctify his wife? Would anybody like to answer that? Carol? Okay. Hold her accountable. Okay. Anybody else? You know, I I think we read this and I think we marvel at it. Because I think it's scarcely modeled. It's scarcely modeled. And and I would like to suggest that this, this, this is exactly what the Christian husband is called to. He is called... To love his wife as Christ loves the church. And when Paul explains what that is, what does he say about it? Okay, his love was sacrificial, right? He gave up himself. I mean, I've been going on for three weeks trying to explain how a husband is to love his wife, exposing this text of Scripture. And and um, it's it's interesting to me that someone could actually look at this and not quite see the responsibility of the husband. I mean, why would Paul tell us that Christ was seeking to sanctify her and cleanse her by the washing of the water with the word 
and present her to himself in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Why would he say that about the love of Christ? In the very context of commanding the husband to love his wife. Daniel? Well, um, you know, we, we are, as, as believers, to be having this an impact upon the world. And I think what Paul is writing towards um, is that the influence of, of obedience to Christ is to, is to infect or to, to be applicable to every aspect of, of life. So he's not saying that we have just this outward thing towards all the other unsaved people out there. But we are to model this in, in every aspect of our life, as parents, as husbands and wives. So what he's really saying is that the Christian responsibility to Christ is, is second to none. It is the first and, in, and, if you will, the only responsibility that any person has. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that, therefore, then, it starts to impact every relationship that we have. And he's starting with the most intimate one, the husband and wife, and then and he just keeps moving outward. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, at that time, perhaps, you know, at the time of this writing, perhaps people didn't really didn't understand that, that, um, that we would harbor in ourselves uh, a, a sort of a place in our own minds of, of selfishness. Well, yeah, I mean, I've, I've got to, you know, he said, love my neighbor, and he said, you know, and Jesus said, you know, if someone tries to take my coat, give him my shirt too. And yeah, but th- those are that. But you know, I'm a man. This is my wife, and I'm going to, you know, perhaps by the influence of the society, I'm going to exercise lordship, you know, mm-hmm. as the Gentiles do. And I think Paul is trying to bring home the fact that our subjection to Christ is, is everywhere. There, there, there is not one place in our life of selfishness. Or where we can have our own, if you will. It, mm-hmm. it, it is our it is our place in everything. Yeah, let me try and address this from another perspective because I think I think really there, there, we really need to understand this. How many of you Christian husbands here would say that you have the desire in your heart to see your wife be sanctified, to see her be made holy? Okay, and then I would ask this question. How is it that you are seeking to achieve that? How is it that you are seeking to achieve that? How is that uh, becoming the practice of your hands and of your speech? How are you fulfilling that duty, Greg? Well, as as the husband's wife is getting renewed um, and becoming conformed to the mind of Christ, all these things that we're talking about that, that, that Christ is and did for his church, you, you, that's how you're going to start thinking. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you're going to start being sacrificial and gracious and patient and kind and meek and gentle and selfless and serving and sincere and uh, purifying and protecting. Mm-hmm. And those are going to be... Is doing for, for us. Amen. And those are going to be the means by which your wife is practically sanctified. Okay? We're not talking about positional sanctification here. You cannot achieve that. You're not the sinless Lamb of God. You can't die for sins. Right? But I can tell you this. A husband who is zealous 
for holiness in his house can certainly bring holiness about in his house. If not, we might as well pack up and go home and watch football. Are you with me? Because we have nothing to learn here. We have nothing to put on. We have, we have nothing to be armed with as we go home to be a Christian husband and war against the world and the flesh and the devil. Are you with me? But if we do come and we are armed with the knowledge of the Word of God and our purpose as a Christian husband, what is it that we're going to go home and implement? How is this going to, how is this going to practically change the way that we husband our wife? Are you with me? Is, is that getting through? Um, and I, I'm, I hope I'm addressing this, this question because I think it's really important because you have to understand the difference between positional sanctification and practical sanctification, right? I mean, I, I, can't, I can't die for my wife on a cross and make her eternally holy in the sight of God. Why can't I do that? Because I'm a sinner, right? Because if I died, I'd have to die for who? For me. So therefore, I can't offer my life to sanctify her, right? But my actions, my prayers, the motivations of my heart, the work of my hands, the speech from my mouth can certainly bring about practical sanctification in that marriage. Can it not? And, and is that not what is being alluded to when he says that he has having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word? that he might present her to himself. He's working this sanctification, right, in your life. And you're growing in that godliness. And you're being, what, prepared for that world to come. In what sense? In the sense of practical sanctification. Are you with me? So did I address that? Is there more, is there more to it than that? Gene? I want to ask uh, one other question that comes to my mind. Think, think about this. As, as we were describing the love of Christ for his church, and we were saying that, that uh, the husband should love the Christ just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And when we talk about how Christ loved the church and we say that Christ has a gracious love to her, that, that, that he gives to her even when she's undeserving, right? And that his love is sacrificial, like uh, Rick was saying, that, he, that Christ gave everything he had for his bride. And we talk about the love of Christ being patient and kind. And we say that this is a husband's responsibility to love his wife with a patient love with a love that expresses kindness. And we talk about the fact that a husband's love should be meek. It should be lowly. It should be gentle. It should be sincere. It should be real and live in the heart, right? And so that if a husband is going to love his, his wife just as Christ loved the church, is that not the kind of characteristics that you would expect that husband's love to look like? Is it? Would you say that these are very clearly the responsibility of a Christian husband? Amen? Would you say that this is very clearly the kind of responsibilities that Paul is referring to when he says to a husband, love your wives just as Christ loved the church? 
which, by the way, he doesn't just say that in verse 25. He repeats it again. Um, he repeats it again in verse 29. Okay? The same idea, the same concept. But here's what I'm asking you to, to, to see here, is that these are the responsibilities of a Christian husband. And let me tell you what the natural man will seek to do with these responsibilities or the flesh, the sinful nature. What will it seek to do? Run away, he says. I say shirk them. Right? When you look at, when you look at the typical American marriage in the secular society, right, what do you see taking place? Let me suggest that it's husbands shirking all of these responsibilities. And not being the kind of men that God has created them to be. Are you with me? Why is it that marriages are falling apart everywhere? Even in the church. Why is that? I want to tell you why. Because husbands are not sacrificial and gracious and patient and kind and gentle and selfless and serving and having a sincere love for their wives, seeking to cherish them and nourish them and love them like Christ loved the church. I want to ask you a question. If husbands were fulfilling that responsibility, what kind of uh, uh, divorce rate do you suppose we'd have? I wouldn't go so far as to say zero. But I can tell you that the number would be rather low. Would you agree? Because the wife certainly does have some responsibility in this, doesn't she? She has a responsibility to be responsive to his love, which I'm going to talk about, by the way, in, in when you look at the back of page 51, I'm going to talk about biblical headship and biblical submission, and I'm going to discuss those differences there. But I, I, I want to make sure that, you know, we don't somehow leave this class with the idea that, well, you know, maybe God really isn't calling me as a husband to love with all of this kind of love and to carry this big, heavy load on my back. Because I want to affirm again and again to you that he is. And now that you've become aware of this knowledge of how Christ loved his church, Christian husband, you have a responsibility before God to love your wife like this. And I could show you again and again where the scripture is commanding you just as a Christian alone. How much more as a Christian husband should you be loving your wife in this manner? I mean, this is how we're to love everybody, are we not? Are we not to love everybody with a sacrificial, gracious, patient, kind, sincere love? Aren't we? Just to, I mean, that's our responsibility just as Christians, just to be Christ-like. Is it not the commandment of God to every Christian to treat everyone, all men, in this manner? It is, isn't it? How much more than in our marriages? And surely, surely the Christian wife has as much responsibility in her actions, in the motivations of her heart, as her husband does. I understand you girls don't think I'm being hard enough on you girls. Um, I think you should go back and listen to the tape from when we talked about wives being submissive. And I think I said a lot there that uh, would be rather challenging for you. But I, I am going to deal with that again when we get to verse uh, 33. But my point is, is that, listen... 
We as Christian husbands cannot shirk the responsibilities that we have as the head of our household, as the head of our family. We have to be men about this issue because we have a very great enemy in this world. And let me tell you, if you're a married Christian couple, his chief target is your marriage. Okay? And let me tell you something. When an evil king comes to build a siege against the holy city, he's looking for the weakest part of the wall to build that siege ramp. Okay? Which means that that enemy is going to come against your wife with everything he's got. And he's going to look for a way to bring a wedge in that marriage through your wife. Are you with me? Has God showed you these things in prayer? Have you seen it? Not to mention that you have a very real enemy in the flesh. Right? Which is by far and away the weak link in the spiritual warfare. Right? So if the devil isn't enough, you've got the flesh to contend with who wants to respond positively to all of the devil's temptations. Amen? And in this culture that we live in, your marriage is under constant bombardment from the enemy, is it not? I mean, all you have to do is turn on the television and get the, little, the flavor of, of, of secular humanism that's being broadcast 24-7, and those kinds of thinking patterns enough is a constant bombardment on the marriage, is it not? It, it is. It, it is. Okay. And, and so what I'm saying is we need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might here. And how do we do that in our marriage? We love our wives just as Christ loved the church. And you know what? It's a high and it's a holy goal to shoot for. It's a perfect goal. And you're not there yet. Amen? But I'm going to tell you what. You, you can be a Christian man who will rise up in the strength of Christ and by the power of the Spirit of God, and you can do these things. You can love your wife. You can lead your family. You can have a holy zeal in your house to see your family sanctified. I know because I've done it. I've been there, and I've watched my family through my efforts become practically sanctified. And I'll tell you, I've seen, and I have many regrets in my own life about my failures to seek to sanctify them. And, and when I think about my failures as a parent, this is the very area where I have failed the most. I have failed to practically seek to sanctify my family. Many of you can identify with exactly what I'm talking about. Right? So, um, that was a lot to say. Somebody else was going to comment there. Was it Terry? Well, I was just going to say, early in our marriage, we had a, um, an older couple um, instructing us to, well, instructing Richard to read to me um, God's Word and also other things, other good books. And um, through the years, you know, it's, Richard either wanting to do it and me saying, oh, not, not right now, or me saying, we really need to do this, and him saying, well, you know, it doesn't really fit in right now. But um, 
Yeah, and how how does the husband reaffirm the lordship of Christ to his family, right? But to bring the word of God to the family and say this is the authority in our life, right? And and I mean, you know, in in Christ's day for the Jewish Christian, this this was elementary. Why? Because in the Jewish home, what was the centerpiece? The Torah. The Word of God, the Law of God, first five books of the Bible, was the centerpiece, right? As a matter of fact, by the time a kid was 12 years old, a young male in the Hebrew family, he could recite huge portions of the Torah, right? And how did that happen? It happened through the training that went on in his home, both from his father and his mother. That's how that happened. You see, in the, in the Judeo ethic that Christianity has, which is something we largely lost when the Gentile world, uh, when the church infiltrated the Gentile world, Jerusalem was destroyed. What One of the things that happened in the church is she became Romanized. Mm-hmm. Okay, she, she, she moved from a Jewish uh, infrastructure in the home to a Greek infrastructure in the home. Why? Because that's the culture that the people lived in. Okay, And she has ever and eternally been seeking to grab that back and grab those Jewish roots back and make the Word of God the centerpiece in the home again. right? And if you're familiar at all with my teaching on Christian parenting, this, this is the whole of it right here. right? It's the Shema. It's, it's De- Deuteronomy 6, uh, verses 4 through 9. right? And, and that is the centerpiece of the Christian home. It's the Word of God. And so here, here again I'm saying... How is it that uh, a husband, the head of that wife, the head of that home, reaffirms the lordship of Jesus Christ in the home? He does it by daily washing of water through the word. And this is what I'm saying. As a Christian husband, we have a responsibility to bring the word of God to our family daily. And that prayer should be a regular practice in the home. How does he reaffirm the lordship of Christ in his home? He gets on his knees with his family and he cries out to God, showing his what? His trust and his dependence on God. Teaching the family what? To trust and depend on God. Amen? 
And then when he gets up from his scripture reading and his prayer, he lives his life in obedience to what he has read. And he teaches them to obey through that obedience to what he has shared with them and what he has prayed for with them on his knees. Amen? And that's what I'm suggesting. And I'm also saying that, simply saying that verse 27 talks about the motivation of Christ. What's going on in the heart of Christ when he seeks to sanctify his bride, right? Well, he's wanting to present her back to himself. You see, that's what the text is saying. That's why he wanted to sanctify her, to present her to himself. And here's what I'm saying. What Christian husband would not strongly desire for his wife to be holy and pure and sanctified in her practice, even as she is in her position, right? Because what's he going to do after that sanctification is really beginning to take effect? He's going to present her to himself. She, she, she belongs to him. They're one flesh, even as he belongs to her, right? And, and that blessedness of godly virtue is increasing in the marriage as you're being conformed into the image of Christ. But in marriage, that has to happen at the husband's lead. Amen? He is the one who is responsible, ultimately, in that home. Not that the wife doesn't have responsibilities. She does. She most definitely does. She has responsibility to affirm that headship. Right? And we'll be talking about that. But uh, here, see then the heart of Christ to sanctify his bride. How? Or for what purpose? That he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, sanctified, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. And then I also wanted you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, and look what Paul says there. He says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You know, I think we could ask that same question again. How can I cleanse myself? Right? Well, in position, you really can't, can you? You really can't. That takes the blood of Christ, doesn't it? Amen? So then what must Paul be speaking of? Here in 2 Corinthians 7.1. Practical sanctification, right? And surely he is. If you go a few verses back and look at the context, what's he saying? Therefore, come out from them and be ye separate. Touch no unclean thing, right? Be not yoked together with unbelievers, he's saying, right? That's that whole passage, 2 Corinthians 6. And then he, he sums it up. Therefore, beloved, he says, right? Let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Let me tell you, a Christian husband ought to have this verse of scripture memorized and pasted as a frontlet before his eyes. That in his home, he seeks to cleanse that home from all defilement of flesh and spirit and perfect holiness in that home in the reverence of God, in the fear of God. Amen? This is what I was saying when I was saying husbands should have a holy zeal for their wife to be holy and for their family to be holy. Amen? Amen. 
that would be modeling, that would be following after the model which Christ has given us. Daniel, uh, just you know, the, what, what sort of struck me, that I wondered about is like in 25 it says Christ also loved the assembly, and you know, I was thinking, well, that's sort of strange. That's in the past tense, because isn't Christ now perfecting us, you know, in, in practical sanctification? But what it comes to me then is that it is in the past tense. Because Paul is referring specifically to the Lord's crucifixion, burial, and resurrection, mm-hmm. and, and that sacrifice. But what that what, what that speaks to um, is that God became a man to seek out the lost and to save them. He condescended, and as husbands, we are not to sit in this sort of high you know, like on Mount Sinai and, and rule with fear. But we like the Lord, we are to come and we are to reach and we are to we are to um uh uh you know know you know uh, um don't want to use the word kind of saying because you know, we're sinners but um but we are we are not to use you know fear or threatening or any of those sort of things. But just as the Lord came and very gently brought people to himself. So we are to do the same in terms of, of how we conduct ourselves with our wives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, precisely. Amen. Okay, verse 28. So husbands ought also to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. Again, Paul speaks of the degree to which a husband should love his wife. And here he says, even as he loves himself, or to the degree that he loves himself, right? Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Amen? And so, again, he's talking about to, to what degree or in what way or, or at what level should a husband love his wife, even as he feeds his own body and cares for his own body and, and avoids oncoming traffic, <laughs> right? He doesn't walk out in the street. Why? Because he's going to get hurt. Amen? Why? Because he loves himself. He doesn't want to get hurt. Amen? Why does he feed himself? Because he doesn't want to go hungry, right? So husbands ought to love their wives in what way? Well, he ought to seek to protect them. They ought to seek to nurture them. They ought to seek, he ought to seek to feed them. He ought to seek to care for them, to seek after their well-being, to seek after their joy, to seek after their fulfillment. And in this context, to seek after their holiness, their sanctification, right? That's how a husband ought to love their wives, even as they would do it for themselves, so even as we would purify ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, we should seek to purify our wife, right? He goes on. Even as a man cares for the needs and desires of his own body, so should he care for the needs and desires of his wife. Think about this. When you love yourself as a man, as a husband, do you only meet your needs Or do you also meet your own desires, those which are beyond needs? You with me? Right? So how does a a husband love himself? Well, he meets his needs and his desires. 
So when you think about being a Christian husband and loving your wife just as you love yourself, you should think just beyond meeting her needs to meeting her desires as well, so far as it is possible with you. Amen? Right? Um, This also will bring the benefit to the marriage it does to life. When you love yourself, your needs are met and the body is fulfilled. Right? So also in marriage, when you love your wife and care for her needs, there is a fulfillment in marriage. Okay? And let me ask you this question. Consider what a shameful matter it is for a married woman to be unloved by her husband. Consider how shameful that is. This is what the proverb says. Under three things the earth quakes, and under four it cannot bear up. Under a slave when he becomes a king, and a fool when he is satisfied with food. Under an unloved woman when she gets a husband, and a maidservant when she supplants her mistress. Here the scripture says that the earth cannot bear up underneath a woman who is married who is unloved. That is a treacherous thing. Because marriage was designed to show forth the glory of that relationship between Christ and his church. And it is the most intimate of all relationships And it is the building block for all relationships in all societies throughout all of the ages of mankind. From the beginning, it was this way that the two will become one flesh. Amen? How much more, then, should a husband seek to love his wife? even as he loves himself. And then he goes on, he says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. Here Paul seeks to enforce the husband's responsibility to love his wife by saying, just as Christ also does the church. You see, he repeats it again right here. I mean, if if you get anything as a husband out of the text of Ephesians 5 on marriage, right? Paul is repeating a second time that the husband must love the wife as Christ loves the church. Amen? Because that's our divine model of love. Is it not? That's what we follow after. And here he says, he describes Christ's love as nourishing and cherishing, right? He says, no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it. And here he's talking about what you do for your own body, right? You nourish your own body. What do you do? You you feed yourself, right? And you cherish your own body. What does that mean? Well, you put on warm clothes when it's cold outside. You warm it, right? Why? Because you care for it. You treasure your own body. You spend your whole life caring for your body, don't you? Right? And that's how a husband is to love his wife. He's to nurture her. Why? Because Christ also nurtures his church. That's why. And that's Paul's point. Christ nurtures us each and every day. He gives us life and breath and all things. 
Think about what Christ does for his church. Amen? Does he nurture us? Does he meet every need that we have? Let me ask you a question. How has Christ failed you? Or has Christ ever failed to nurture you and give you what you need? Has he not brought you to this very day? Amen? He's lavished his love on us. Amen? He richly provides for us his abundance of joy and peace. His mercy and his love endure forever. Amen? Think about how Christ nurtures his church. It's not just for today. It's forever. Amen? He's going to nurture us forever and ever and ever, world without end. Amen? He's going to keep lavishing on us rich pleasures, might I add. Pleasures beyond our wildest imagination, right? For eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. Consider how Christ nurtures his church. Here Paul says a husband ought to love his wife in the same way. Amen? Husbands should nurture their wives. We are their provider and should seek to meet all of their needs, spiritual, emotional, social, and physical. Okay? Listen, Christian husband, you are the provider in the home. You should seek to nurture your wife and meet all of her needs, whatever they may be, whether they be physical or spiritual or social or emotional. You should seek to meet those needs, even as Christ meets those needs of his church. So I ask this question then. How does Christ nourish his church? Anyone? How does Christ nourish his church? Daniel? I think the primary way, I mean, obviously the Lord nourishes us uh, by by our physical needs. I mean, you know, I've not seen the righteous the, the righteous go hungry. You know, um, I think in our country we have to really temper that because that which we need, and you know, I mean, I mean, who among us is really in need? Uh, really, um, it's more a matter of what we want and our own lusts generally. Um, but uh, you know, the the, the Lord is. From my perspective, and in the recent years of my life, my main need has been to um, come to a better understanding of who God is, and to and to bring that perspective practically to bear upon my practice. And if God is really like this, then why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. That has been my need, mm-hmm. because it and and. and uh, uh, but you know, but beyond that, also, I mean, how how much has the Lord taken care of me and, and kept me from? I mean, you know, any one of us could be struck down with any kind of disease or suffering or you know heart mm-hmm. attack or whatever. Amen. And and it, and and so He gives us breath and life every minute. We're quick to blame Him when there's suffering. Yeah. But we're slow to thank Him when there's 500 days of mercy. Right. Yeah. Amen. Exactly. Yeah. But the Lord has nurtured you in those ways. Right. And you're speaking primarily of spiritual ways, right? right? How does Christ nourish his church? I was just going to say, just 
Oh, I'm sorry. Go I'm ahead. Sorry, go no, ahead. no, go ahead, <laughs> Sophia. We'll get. I was just going to say through the word and through fellowship of the mm-hmm. believers together to encourage each other and to lift each other up when there are those needs, and that's how Christ meets uh, a lot of our practical needs is through each other. Okay. Carol? Amen. Okay. So these are ways that Christ nourishes his church. Also, it says here that Christ cherishes his church. He cherishes his church. Christ treasures his church. He loves her and cares for her. He continually seeks her joy and her blessing. This is the great focus and entire purpose of his life and ministry. Did you hear that? This is the great purpose and focus of Jesus' entire life and ministry. It was to nourish and to cherish his church. And he cherished his church so much that he gave his life for her. What does that say about how us Christian husbands ought to model this? Amen? Should it be the entire focus of our life and ministry? Or should we say the main focus, right? Entire might not be a good word because we have responsibilities just outside of our marriage, right? But main, the main focus. We should be seeking to nourish and cherish that wife, right? In fulfilling the Father's plan, Christ labored and strived to redeem his church, giving his own life and sacrifice to show his love and win her to himself, by his great devotion to her. Husbands, oh, okay, so I have this, this, uh, this thought. Think about this. That Christ, in, in giving himself for his wife, won her to himself. And so think about this as a Christian husband. When you think about the way your wife thinks about you, right? Does she see you giving of yourself in this way? Is, is she taken back by the devotion that you have to win her t- to yourself by nourishing and cherishing? Is it evident to her that, you, that this is the main focus of your life, that she's the most important thing to you? It should be. Because I want you to know the church does not question that for one moment with Christ. Amen? That's <laughs> Well, not, not in the renewed mind, brother. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? So we have a model. We have a goal to shoot for. Amen? We, 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 have, we have all the instructions in the life of Christ to be a biblical husband, don't we? To be a godly husband, to be a husband that pleases God. We have, we have the whole manual. It's written right out there in the person of Christ. Daniel? Well, I, I just uh, 
I have a co-worker who's not safe. Well, all my co-workers are not safe. But um, he w we were talking about marriage one time, and uh, he's been married now over 30 years. And he said that uh, what has kept him sort of uh, from, from ever being unfaithful to his wife was he did not, he thought enough of her that he didn't ever want her to be out in public and be ashamed of him. And, uh, you know, and have to look at someone and say, oh, you're the one who married the guy who cheated on you, you know. And, uh, and, and that thought has kind of held him. Now, that's an unsaved man who's saying this, you know. And, um, and so how much more should I have a desire to, to be a good example out in the world and in my workplace of Christ so that, so that my wife... Um, would not be ashamed of my testimony outside the house. You know, I might be, you know, I don't want to have this two-faced way. You know, I, at home I'm this way, at work I'm this other way. <laughs> you know, so that out in public she can she can say yes. The, the the desires that he's expressing in the home of being godly, he's expressing out in the world of being trying to be godly. Amen. How about this, husbands? A husband cannot show their wife genuine loving kindness unless they genuinely cherish them in their hearts. Now we're talking about, okay, a husband is seeking to nurture and cherish his wife. Well, does he in his heart truly cherish her? Is there a genuine treasuring in the heart of the husband for that wife? When you as a husband think about your wife, do you think, I treasure her. She's a treasured possession that I have. Therefore, I'm going to seek to care for her and nurture her. You with me? What I'm saying is, you can't put this on like a mask. Because the mask that you put on is not real. Unless it is inside your heart to cherish her and to treasure her. That must be the motivating characteristic that's in the heart. He must genuinely cherish her in order to cherish her with his hands and with his speech and with his actions. Amen? It's got to be real. It's got to be in the heart. I want to cover these last two. That the husband should also be affectionate. Okay? The husband should also be affectionate. And this is something that we haven't really talked about, the love of Christ being affectionate for his church. And that frankly, there is a lot to be said about this. But I just want to kind of say a few things. If a husband genuinely cherishes his wife, he will manifest it by godly affection. Okay? If there is a genuine cherishing in that heart, how is that going to manifest itself? Okay? And here's one of the ways I'm telling you. By affection. You see, if a husband in his heart really cherishes his wife, he's going to nurture her. He's going to meet her needs. He's going to care for her, right? But if he really also cherishes her, how will he show that in an emotional sense? I mean, it's easy, if you will, to nurture a wife and to go out and meet her needs by working, to provide for the house, right? To, you know, to hang up the Christmas lights, <laughs> right? To fix the broken sink, right? You with me? It's easy to go do those actions, right? Because you're doing your manly thing, you're, you're meeting the needs, you're doing the nurturing that you need to do, 
talking about physically here. But what about how does that cherishing heart manifest itself emotionally? Okay, here's how. By affection. By godly affection. Right? How many of you wives out there desire for your husband to be affectionate? How many of you would say that's a main need that you think that you have for your husband to be affectionate to you? Three? Three. So you, you don't really believe as a, as a wife that you have a need for your husband to be affectionate to you? I didn't say it was the most important. I'm sorry. I said it was a major need. So I want to ask you again, how many of you wives think that your husband, oh, okay, it's really low. I'm shocked by that. I think you're all spoiled. You must have really godly husbands who show their affection very well. Because I can tell you what, if you were starving for affection here, your hand would be raised high. And you'd be crying out for it. And I know, because I hear those cries when I sit with, with uh, Christian women and they tell me how they're starved for affection from their husband. It's like a torturous thing that goes on in the house. And the earth can't bear up under an, uh, a married woman who is unloved. Okay? Trust me, <laughs> you have a major need for uh, godly affection. Okay? And uh, I wanted to point you to the book of the Song of Solomon, chapter 4. I'd like for you to go read that. I'd like for you to go read that. And if you're familiar with the Song of Solomon, you, you understand that Song of Solomon is a type of Christ in his church. How many of you know that? Okay. And if you read in chapter 4, what you have, chapter 4 is a discourse coming from Solomon, speaking about his beloved. Okay. And I want you to see the affection that is in the words that he speaks to his beloved okay and you'll see if you will a picture of the affection that christ has for his church you with me the last thing i wanted to mention before we run off here was that christ's love to his bride is rewarding it's rewarding right uh you're familiar with the scripture where Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me. Right? Who's he coming to reward? His bride, especially in that context there in Revelation 22. Right? Frankly, he's going to reward both the righteous and the wicked. Right? But Christ will come with rewards for his bride. Because she has loved him and served him faithfully, she will reap bountifully from the hand of the Lord. You with me? And this is a principle also of Christ's love. His love is rewarding to his bride. And, and when she serves him faithfully, he rewards her. In fact, he lives his life for this. He gives his life for this. Right? Christ's love is rewarding. We often take our wives for granted. Christ appreciates and rewards our love to him. 
When you have worked hard, do you reward yourself? Of course. If nothing else, you rest when you're tired. How then can you disregard rewarding your wife if you are to love her as your own self? Okay? Again, I I just wonder how, how we consider the way that we ought to love our wife when we look at Christ and we see his example of godliness. I think we ought to seek to take on all of the characteristics of Christ in our relationship to our wife. And this is certainly one of them. This is certainly one of them. You know, you you think about how a groom would lavish rich pleasures on his bride on their wedding day. You with me? There's this, this, this idea of rewarding love, of pouring out, of lavishing on it, right? How great is the love that God has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Amen? The love of Christ to his church is a lavishing of gifts. Amen? And how, how we as husbands should seek to have that kind of a motivating force in our heart for our wife. We, want, we just want them to be so blessed and filled with joy and happiness that that's what we live for. We live seeking after her well-being and her joy and her happiness. Amen? Even as Christ does his church. Amen? Okay, shall we pray? God, our Father, Lord, we do thank you for these holy words. I pray, God, that you would impress them on our hearts. I pray that you would help us, dear God, to uh, rightly view these things according to your truth. I pray, Lord, that you would bring understanding and spiritual wisdom to our minds, God. Father, give us strength to implement these things in our homes. And, and Lord, I pray that you would bless our homes with that blessedness which comes from godly living. I pray, Lord, that you would empower us by your spirit and fill us, Lord. Fill our lives with your loving kindness. Fill our marriages, O God, with your loving kindness and your grace, I pray. We thank you, Lord, for your love to us. We thank you for the beautiful example and picture of your love to your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.